0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in
1: Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, dear Troy, Yvonne, Tammy, and Pat, Christmas is almost here, uh, and the marks of it are everywhere. If you try to go to the outdoor mall, uh, the parking lots are pretty much death traps, uh, <laughs> Uh, that, uh, you know, parents are spending time carefully placing the presents under the tree, under the careful supervision of their kids. Uh, now, to anyone under the age of 10, these last three weeks have seemed like a lifetime. It just goes on and on and on, and the day never gets here. Just ask my sons, they will tell you. Uh, but for those of us who are a little bit older, the season has a momentum all of its own. Before you know it, the day is almost upon us, and it's going to be here. And as soon as it came, it will be gone. Now, as much as all of us are running to uh, to adore the Christ child, rushing to, to worship him in the manger, the Holy Gospel this morning puts on the brakes. John the Baptist steps out in front of us. And here's this guy blocking our way who's unseasonably wearing... Uh, Clothing like camel's hair and a leather belt. He has a little bit of locust and honey on the corner of his mouth. And he's saying these inconvenient and unpleasant things like, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, if we try to get around John the Baptist by sidestepping him, he won't let us. And if you try to peek over his shoulder to get a glimpse at Jesus... He points right back to his cousin and says, listen to him. Now, why is that? Why can't you get to Jesus unless you first go through John the Baptist? It's because no matter how much we may adore or think pleasant thoughts about the little baby Jesus lying in the manger, it doesn't help us one bit unless we have what John comes to give us. John the Baptist comes to give you the gospel. He desires you to turn away from yourselves and even to turn away from himself so that you can hear his true confession of who Jesus is and what he has come to do for you. He teaches you that when God steps into his creation to save it, he is never silent. He accompanies his saving deeds with his preaching through the mouths of his prophets and pastors and evangelists, to give you the ears that hear hear the glad tidings of saving faith, so that you will learn to trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Now, there's two parts to John's confession this morning. And in the same way, and this is good for you confirmants to remember, there are two parts to your confession this morning as well. First, you confess against yourself, which is a lot easier than it sounds, especially if you're used to drawing big crowds. Now, Pastor Wolfmuller, I'm sure, has some experience with this. If you guys didn't know, he has a fan club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for the rest of us, you know, the, we have the groupies of our kids or maybe our parents. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, our true confession must ignore what the rest of uh, the expectations of the world and the, and the sort of demands that the rest of the world is putting upon us so that you can say clearly what you are not. Now, St. Matthew writes, Jerusalem and all of Judea and the, all the region about jo- the Jordan were coming out to John. Now, because this preaching baptizer was emptying the cities, the synagogues, and apparently even Herod's temple, It's not surprising that the Pharisees, the priests, and the Levites, and the Sadducees, all of them took notice. So they came out to John to question him, and probably in their own minds, they thought that John could be one of four options. First, he could be the anointed, the Messiah, promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, who would sit on David's throne forever. That's one option. Second, maybe this is truly Elijah who has come back down from heaven to signal the end of the world, just as they had surmised from Malachi chapter 4. Third, he could be the prophet, like Moses that we heard about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, I don't really think they actually bought into either three of those options because more than likely they just assumed that John was a pretender. And in that case, they came out to John to expose and to shame him so that they could get the crowds back. They came and asked John, Who are you? Now, this may have been a trap, a shadow of the future traps they would lay for Jesus, but John doesn't shrink away from, their, from the interrogation. The Apostle John writes, He confessed. And did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. John the Baptist knows exactly who he is and what he is doing, he has no pretensions about being the Messiah. Nor did he fit the the Jews' weird expectations of Elijah to be bodily coming down from heaven. And though he is a prophet, he is not the prophet that was promised to them. He didn't let the excitement of the crowds or the pressure of the priests and the Levites turn, turn him into something that he knew that he is not. Rather, he confessed against himself clearly. He diminished himself so that the second part of his confession could be all the more clear. Now, this is important for you to remember, dear saints, that the rest of the world is going to put the question to you. And they're going to ask about the strange things that happen at Hope Lutheran Church and why you come to this place and who do you think you are because you come to this place. Think about it. You come here to be baptized with a baptism that was even greater than what John the Baptist had to offer you can't tell the difference with your eyes. You stand and kneel at various times on Sunday morning. You know, People, for whatever reason, are really put off by the fact that you stand up, sit down, and kneel. <laughs> uh, you partake in a, in a meal of a divine man's body and blood. All of these things cause people to ask you, who are you? And what is this place? Now, under the the pressure of the question itself, it's easy to lose heart, to tell them the, the voices in the world what they want to hear, as opposed to who you really are. But you confess, and you do not deny. You tell the truth as you have been taught. And so when you're asked, Who do you think you are to be so special, to think that you receive God's grace and mercy? What makes you better than the rest of us? You confess against yourself. You say, I am not better than you, I am a sinner. I am, no, I am no different from you, a sinner who has fallen short of God's glory. There is nothing within me that separates me from, uh, from you that makes me more worthy of God's grace and mercy. But saints, you, you don't confess against yourself merely to be self-deprecating. You confess against yourself so that Christ and His love and His grace and His mercy that he has all the credit. And that is the second part of confession. Yes, you must speak against yourself, but like John, you speak truly about what God has said about you and for what purpose (laughs) he has appointed you into his kingdom. And so John confessed, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So, dear saints, even though you are weak and less glorious than than perhaps what the people of the world are, are chasing after, that doesn't take away from what God says about you. Even though you're a sinner, it doesn't take away from what God says about you. Just as John had been taught by his parents from childhood that he was the voice to prepare the way of the Lord, so also because you have been taught, you know that you are the Lord's baptized. You are His child who has been set apart to know the grace and mercy of your Lord Jesus, His redemption, His victory over sin and death. Yes, you are a sinner, but you've learned to confess that you are a saint for the sake of Christ. God has promised it to you at your baptism. He reminded you of it this morning when you confessed your sins and received the absolution, and he continues to pledge it to you as you receive Jesus' body and blood for your forgiveness. You know your identity. But what about John's? What is it that the priests and the Levites found so hard to understand? It's probably because they didn't really understand what it means to prepare the way of the Lord. Now Isaiah writes this, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places as a plain. Now, it's been said by somebody around here that I'm a fan of topography, and I think that's right. I like poring over, you know, the the topographic maps and, and finding out what the, if I were to climb this mountain, what would be the best route. Uh, what you learn when you look at topographic maps is where the lines are close together. Uh, it's it's going to be steep and treacherous and a hard way to go. Now, as fun as it is to, for our eyes to pass over those portions of the map, uh, in the real world, when our hands and feet are involved, it becomes much less enticing. <laughs> uh, if you had to tell your friends and family, therefore, to how to get to Colorado... You're not going to tell them to take the service road that's, you know, mud in the middle of the mountains with snow all around it. You're going to tell them to take the level road. Now, Isaiah isn't talking about the topography that's surrounding Judea and the surrounding regions. He's talking about the topography of the human heart. John the Baptist came to be a voice. That tears down the heights of your pride. And lifts you up from the abject pits of despair. He lifts you up through He lifts up through baptism into the forgiveness of sins. Now this leveling voice that tames the chaotic terrain of the heart, dear saints, is nothing more than law or gospel. Law and gospel. And when Jesus comes to save you, it's always on this road that he travels. And this is why John the Baptist has placed himself between you and Christmas. Now, the priests and the Levites, after John had said that he is the voice who does this, when they were staring at him, Luther says it was like cows staring at a, pe- uh, uh, you know, a fence post. They had no idea what was going on. <laughs> uh, the gospel words were totally beyond what they were prepared to hear. He didn't fit into their expectations at all. And so the best of what they could think of to say at this point was, why is it, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John the Baptist just says again, I baptize with water. And it's like he's saying, if you only listened to me, you would know why I'm baptizing with water. I've been talking about a greater baptism that would be coming of the Holy Spirit and fire. But I baptize with water to show you that your salvation isn't going to be found in a worldly Savior, in a Savior who comes in ostentatious pomp and might. I'm not here to to conscript soldiers for the Messiah's coming rebellion. It's as my Father said from my birth, I came to give people knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. That's why I baptize. John told them, you're sinners, and you need forgiveness and repentance. And so now let me tell you about this man through whom this salvation would come. John the Baptist says, Among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Jesus, John John says that, Not only am I here to prepare his way, he is already here. And so pay attention to this contrast. Here's John the Baptist, separate, by himself, out in the wilderness, baptizing in the Jordan. He wears the liturgical vestments of camel's hair and a leather belt, which shows him to be bearing the office of Elijah. He makes the people come to him. He's showing himself to be a holy person, to come close to him is to uh, approach, approach holiness itself. But he insists that he's not. John the Baptist insists that I am not the one who is truly holy. I am not the truly, truly the righteous one who has come, who has come to you. Instead, there is a man who, exceed, who exceeds all the prophets and the evangelists in glory and honor, and he's among you. He's with you. Even though you don't realize it, you've been laying your eyes upon him. Dear saints, this is the wonder of Christmas. And this is why we go through John the Baptist's preaching to come to Jesus. God has become flesh of your flesh. He has become your brother. He doesn't separate himself from you because he is holy. Instead, he comes to you. He enters into your world so that more than just bearing your flesh and blood, He can also bear your, your iniquity, your guilt, and your shame. These are the things that Jesus has taken upon Himself and takes them to the cross so that He can make you holy, so that He can separate you out of this world of sin. And death, so that you may be baptized into eternal life. This is why it's good to meet Jesus' older cousin before Christmas Day. Because we hear from John the Baptist the greatest Christmas gift you could ever possibly receive. John the Baptist points to the child lying in the manger. And he says to you, and he says to you nothing but pure gospel. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.